listeners. This is another edition of Kaiju Transmissions, a podcast dedicated to giant monsters. As always, I am your host. My name is Kyle Bird, and with me is my co-host... Matt Parmley. Hi, Matt. Uh, are you still... <laughs> are you feeling better today? Because you were feeling very ill earlier. I'm feeling... I'm feeling okay. I'm like maybe 70% right now, but I'm... I'm I've... Uh... I made it. I made it to the episode. So. Well, you sound like a million bucks. Um, today, we are going all the way back to the movie that started it all. As far as Monster on the Loose and giant creature movies. Not King Kong. No, 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 no. We're going further back to 1925's The Lost World, directed by Harry O. Hoyt. And uh, the first uh, movie of first, the first live-action dinosaur movie, the first movie to use stop-motion to bring monsters to life, the first uh, uh, um, movie to use certain other techniques, like the traveling mat, uh, and also introduce the world to Mr. Willis O'Brien, the godfather of modern special effects. And here to talk about it um, is Nicholas Ciccone, who... Uh, has had the um, experience of working on the new upcoming Blu-ray release from Flickr Alley, which is available on September 19th, and uh, Nick helped with the restoration and also provides an audio commentary. So, uh, Nick, welcome to the show. Uh, Hi, Kyle. Hi, Matt. Uh, Great to be here. All right. Um, So, The Lost World, uh, we'll we'll just dig right in. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. If people are unfamiliar, it's based on a story by Arthur Conan Doyle, featuring his popular uh, Professor Challenger character. And in the early 20s, the film rights to that were picked up. And after uh, viewing some um, test footage and also a short film, well, I guess it's now considered a short film, called The Ghost of Slumber Mountain, uh, Mr. Willis O'Brien got the job to handle the dinosaur effects. And it is a story you've seen many times in many movies since, including other versions of this, where uh, you have a group of explorers that go to a, um, uh, a cut-off area of the world. Who In, in this version, it's, it's Brazil. Am I correct, fellas? I believe so. Yeah. It's on the Amazon. It says Venezuela on Wikipedia. Oh, so well, there you go. I'm going to go with that. The always reliable. It's it's it's, it's in Neverland. It's, <laughs> it might as well be. Yeah, it's it's far away. That's all you need to know. Um, it's and, in a jungle somewhere, yeah. <laughs> in and, some foreign land so and, that you've yeah. never been to. <laughs> and there are uh, they discover there are many um, uh, dangerous giant creatures. Uh, so uh, you have a brontosaurus, pterodactyl, a tyrannosaurus, an allosaurus, who's my favorite, um, and they uh, encounter them several times, and then they bring the brontosaurus back, and it rampages through London, and um, if that sounds a little bit like King Kong or <laughs> any, you know, Gorgo, uh, The Lost World, Jurassic Park, any number of movies... Uh, you're right. Um, in fact, I, I believe when they made King Kong, just to protect themselves from any infringement accusations, they had to uh, buy the rights to the actual story, The Lost World. So, uh, very influential story all around. Um, and uh, uh, Matt, you just saw this movie for the first time the other night. We actually watched it together over Skype. Uh, and so before we, we get into the history of it here with Nick, what were your takeaways on this movie that's, geez, practically 100 years old now? Dude, this movie's awesome. Um, Allosaurus and the Brontosaurus really kind of steal the show. Um, also, not sure what to think about the blackface character. <laughs> I will, uh, if you don't mind, sorry to interrupt. Uh, uh, there's a complicated history that's actually probably going to make you even angrier about that character okay. that I'll go into okay. if you if you'd like. All yeah, right. Go for it, man. All right. Well, uh, uh, in the book, uh, Zambo is a uh, is not the uh, shambling blackface character that he is in uh, in the movie. He's actually a really brave guy. Um, probably 
maybe you know traces of like the noble savage stereotype, but it's hell of a lot. Uh, it's a hell of a lot more. Is a lot more likable than uh, the film, and actually, uh, uh, he's quite an inspiring figure. He stays below, and is there is the uh, the Challenger Expedition's only contact with the outside world. He's the only guy down there, and he doesn't have his arm in a cast. He hmm. just sits uh, sits below, t- taking Malone's uh, uh, let, uh, letters up river. Just ba- basically, uh, very. Um, faithful kind of guy. And, uh, what's weird about the book is that, um, it, it has, it, it's, it has huge problems with the way it does it, but it's, it's very concerned with, uh, civil rights and it's actually, uh, it's, a, it's actually a lot of the characters, particularly Lord John Roxton and, uh, Malone seem to be based on, on figures and Leopold, uh, when Belgium controlled the Congo, um, there was a thing called the Congo Reform Association, which Edmund Morel, one of the models for Ed, uh, for Edward Malone, and Roger Casement, the model of Roxton, uh, were involved in. K- uh, Casement and Morel actually met with uh, Conan Doyle on one occasion before going to see a production of The Speckled Band, a stage production of... Uh, uh, Conan Doyle's short story, The Speckled Band, the Sherlock Holmes story. Uh, so they did meet. He was very uh, Conan Doyle was very concerned about civil uh, about civil rights, which of course is completely destroyed in the film. Uh, was there a um, reason for that, or standard twenties racism, pretty much? Okay, it's horrifying. And actually, uh, my mentor, Shepard, uh, who generously allowed me to participate on this project before he passed away. Um, uh, he, in his original restoration, he changed Zambo's intertitles. Ah, uh, yeah, Matt. See, I remember I was explaining that to you. Yeah, they basically changed some of the 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 man the dialogue so it didn't sound so uh, racist. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> basically, making him sound like uh, yeah. an idiot. Um, or like- so, is this new version? Is uh, that going to have like the? Uh, is that going to have the way that it was originally? It is all there in all its horrifying glory. Um, so, Matt, anything that besides the, that character that that dude? <laughs> I mean, you know, the this movie is uh, over ninety years old now, and it's amazing to think that this is kind of what started everything. Uh, when you when you come down to it, uh, the like we, Bird was talking about it. You know, there's scenes with the the dinosaurs breathing. Um, think about the craftsmanship that, like, yeah. football <laughs> bladders. Yeah. Um, uh, that, and they have to, like, step on it occasionally so that it'll, you know, while, the, while at the same time moving the head, it's like, like wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, each each day would only result in a few seconds of film. Yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, the, 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 heart, the craftsmanship is amazing. And Delgado's, uh, Delgado, Marcel Delgado, who sculpted the dinosaurs um based on illustrations by charles r knight it's just uh his work is just beautiful um and uh although there are some things like i I don't really agree with him with uh, willis o'brien making the brontosaurus growl like a dog (laughs) (laughs) right so uh well what's everyone's favorite sequence Oh man, uh, I, I definitely like the Allosaurus uh, Brontosaurus fight. I feel like that's kind of the the one that, like, when they're like kind of uh, seeing each other the first time, and there's like that snarl back and forth. That's pretty awesome. It's very very expressive mm-hmm. for stop motion. Um, that'd be mine. The, the rampage at the end is obviously pretty awesome. Oh yeah, yeah. I I would say the London rampage. Nick, do you have a favorite sequence here? Um, I, I like the volcano scene. Yeah, the stamp with the stamp. Oh yeah, that's that's just, got a lot of so. From what uh, I understand, a lot of great was... animation, and it's not in the script. Oh, it's not. Uh, and it's not in the book either. Um, in the script, there, what happens is Professor Summerlee's. Uh, the the script is actually, depending on how you look at it, it's. You can either look at it and say, "Oh, that's not as impressive," but you can also look at it and say, "Wow, that's actually kind of subtle and poetic." Uh, the way Marion Fairfax wrote it, Summerly, Professor Summerly, the guy who studies beetles uh, and uh, lizards, 
hundreds and whatever leaves his pipe behind and uh, some ferns catch fire. And then it basically starts this huge forest fire. <laughs> so, so it's uh, basically a little better. artifact, a little artifact brought in by man destroys the entire, <laughs> <laughs> destroys the entire plateau. Which I think is actually kind of uh, poetic, but you know, O'Brien wanted to have uh, O'Brien got his paper mache volcano, and that's that's pretty cool too. Yeah, you know, with fireworks shooting out of it. Uh. And um, apparently, the stampede scene. What I was reading was that uh, it was a seventy-five by one hundred and fifty foot, uh, seventy-five by one hundred and fifty set. I is it true that that's the only scene where he used assistance? O'Brien, I believe, used assistance on other sequences. Um, if you look at the uh, if you look at the animation outtakes, are you are you guys familiar with the animation outtakes of this film? Uh, I am. I I watched the ones that were on the last DVD. So, well, if you look, if you pause, uh, there are certain frames where the animators are caught, and often you can see more than uh, in often you can see two. Yeah. Okay. And they alternate, so I think uh, he did use assistance, but his hand is guiding the entire mm-hmm. thing. I think. Um, O'Brien's hand. Oh, I was gonna, I was gonna say the whole thing with uh, Gladys and Paula, <laughs> like, yeah, that's a weird uh, relationship. Yeah, yeah I'm um, like, I'm gonna marry both of you because, and then like at the end, he <laughs> literally is like, uh, it's just uh, <laughs> he gets rewarded with the girl he wants, <laughs> even uh, though yeah. he's kind of an ass. He, he, even the people making the movie thought that uh, was total bullshit. Um, uh, there's a remark. Uh, Lewis Stone, who actually was kind of an adventure of his own, he plays uh, John Roxton. Um, he actually served in the Spanish-American War, so he was actually a pretty rough and tough guy. Um, he said about the love scenes, it's hard to keep a girl's mind on hearts and flowers when uh, Anasaurus Rex about to eat her for lunch. <laughs> yeah like just just uh yeah even they thought uh it was crap and and what's weird is that um bessie love was nothing like uh the character in the movie um she in the she even said in, in on one occasion that uh you know it's kind of hard when you have to um uh, uh simper and close up for about five reels it's kind of <laughs> <laughs> Um, because that's pretty much what she does, which is strange because, um, Marion Fairfax was actually one of, uh, um, the, the first, uh, the first great female writers. She was, I believe, let me check my notes here. I believe she was a playwright. Yeah, she was a play, she was a playwright and they, some of her plays were produced on Broadway in the 1900s and teens. Um, and uh, it's it's weird because it puts in this female character named Paula White who's not in the book, but she's really kind of she she's just kind of like a, a kind of a, a sex a, a kind of a sexist um, a maiden kind like of yeah, figure. It's, it's just kind of a stereotypical like uh, yeah yeah like Zambo <laughs> right <laughs> maybe it, it's it's not that bad. But like, I mean, yeah, no, it, it I, is. It's a. It shows you what it shows you the time period that this it, for that, sure. Uh, yeah, um, Port Fairfax was writing uh, that Port Fairfax was writing in. Um. So yeah, there's that. Yeah. Okay. Um, the pe- it, people on the, in the film, um, it, it thought the um romantic subplot was crap. Yeah. Uh, but they kind of put up with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And uh, it's fr- and what's weird is that uh, most of the things that were cut from the Kodoscope uh, version uh, belong to the romantic subplot. Oh, okay. So uh, yeah, the Kodoscope just cuts straight to the dinosaurs. Yeah, that's the one hour, the one hour cut, right? Yeah, that's the one hour cut yeah, that okay. was uh, that's been in circulate that was in circulation from 1930 onward. So, uh, mostly, they struck. Uh, really good quality 16 millimeter prints for churches and whatnot. And uh, although they did cut out one shot that was perhaps too violent to show to uh, a young audience, and uh, Kyle, you'll like this, it's a shot of the Allosaurus just after he's finished goring the Trachodon, and there's a, a shot where there's like this 
big wad of flesh and there's blood dripping out. I love of it. it. And it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it, that is in the new version. All right. It, it, it was, yes. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's gorgeous. <laughs> nice. It's absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, we've talked a lot about the making of the movie and kind of our impressions of the movie. Um, before we, we get into um, uh, the restoration and, and everything, I want to talk a little bit about Willis O'Brien and his previous work. Um, as some people may know, he did a lot of short films before this. He did a few for Edison, uh, which led him to meet Herbert Dolly, and they did The Ghost of Slumber Mountain, which uh, I believe was about 40 minutes, and I think it only survives in a, what, it's like 15, 20-minute version? Uh, something yeah. uh, like uh, something like that, yeah. So I and I wanted to... A new, a newly re- sorry to interrupt. A newly restored version of, uh, of uh, The Ghost of Slumber Mountain. It's made from... Sixteen millimeter materials, but it's the best version, as far as I can tell, the best version available. Uh, it's going to be included on this uh, Blu-ray. Nice. Um, now, when when that film was released, from what I understand, Dolly sort of uh, took a lot of credit for the dinosaur effects, and O'Brien didn't appreciate that. Um, and then The Lost World was held up a little bit because he actually sued O'Brien for using uh, two techniques that he patented. Patent, blah, patented. So, um, you were telling me some interesting things about the Ghost of Slumber Mountain um, and, and things that went on with Dolly and O'Brien and who did what. Um, would you care to elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. Um, uh, unfortunately, uh it, it, what's weird is that uh, actually uh, he's known for being the villain in O'Brien's uh, life, but uh, he's he was actually a great man. Um, he was an artist and an automobile designer and engineer. He was also an army officer for the New Jersey militia. And uh, he actually made a film after uh, The Ghost of Slumber Mountain called uh, Along the Moonbeam Trail. And it actually looks... Um, it has without Willis O'Brien and it has really competent animation um, and uh, models of his uh, and models that seem quite different from Willis O'Brien's in a le- there was this letter uh, to Paul H. Cromelin head, head of the World Film Corporation it was discovered in the tw- 2000 in about sometime in the 2010s by uh, the late film historian Stephen Cherkis um and it, it, his research actually caused uh, Willis O'Brien biographer Don Shea to completely reevaluate the relationship between Dolly and O'Brien. Dolly claimed in the letter that he was unsatisfied with O'Brien's animation during production and wound up constantly having to supervise O'Brien to ensure a good result. Eventually, Dolly took over the animation himself. Dolly left O'Brien with trimming the film uh, down for its premiere as he was busy with uh, actually supervising disaster response after an explosion at the T.A. Gillespie ammunitions plant. The original cut was three reels, but the owner of the Strand Theater, Walter Hayes, only agreed to show the film if it were trimmed to one reel. Dolly returned to find that, as he claimed to Cromelin, O'Brien had put his name on the theater program as the producer. Dolly also believed that O'Brien was showing footage of Ghost to uh, Watterson R. Rothaker, the eventual producer of The Lost World, without Dolly's permission. So this is, of course, as you can tell, a completely different... uh, uh, story than what uh, O'Brien told. Um, Rothaker and O'Brien met each other shortly after O'Brien left Dolly in 1919. Rothaker, a producer of advertising and promotional films, said that he and O'Brien would begin work on an adaptation of The Lost World with Catherine Curtis as producer. Uh, Rothaker tried to have the release of The Ghost of Slumber Mountain blocked. He even sent an affidavit to its distributor, Paul Cromelin, but Dolly responded with the reply mentioned earlier. That, that I was just talking about. Um, so it was actually Rothaker trying to do some of the, uh, some of the blocking. Um, and Rothaker made a publicity campaign to proclaim O'Brien as a stop-motion genius, making new films for him in 1919, which was a smokescreen, because O'Brien hadn't made anything for Rothaker yet. 
the late Stephen Cherka speculated that it was he did this to gain control of the stop motion process in preparation for the Lost World. Mm. Um, Rothiger hired Catherine Curtis to produce the Lost World with O'Brien in tow, and Curtis wanted Thomas Ince as director. With the Ghost of Slumber Mountain's release, uh, O'Brien showed Ghost of Slumber Mountain to Curtis and Thomas Ince as a film of his. They saw that his name wasn't on it. Huh. And the alarm bells kind of went off. He canceled production, and con- uh, Catherine Curtis canceled production, contacted Dolly, um, and eventually Rothiger was uh, sued by both Catherine Curtis and Herbert M. Dolly. They claimed that O'Brien had misrepresented himself, and that Dolly was responsible for the stop-motion animation techniques used that were to be used. Uh, Dolly actually patented his unique stop-motion process in 1920, just as he did for his uh, automobile ventures. The case was settled out of court. This is obviously a very uh, different uh, story than what you would, uh, uh, than what's been uh, known about O'Brien, than what's been thought about O'Brien for so long. So, do do we know how much he actually did on Slumber Mountain? It's not, not clear, but if you watch some of the scenes in the Lost World, you notice how some of the earlier dinosaur scenes are kind of jerky. Yeah. And how the later ones are kind of smoother, right? That that's because Dolly. That's because O'Brien was picking things up. That seems to be because O'Brien was picking things up as he went along. Okay. So that that would definitely explain what's going on there. Although I I will say this in defense of O'Brien, um, he was, and I'm I don't want to feel like I don't want anybody to feel like I'm knocking O'Brien. He he was incredibly talented. And the the thing is that he gave uh, the dinosaur he gave di- the dinosaurs character. Uh, Dolly's dinosaurs are just beasts. Yeah. They uh, they try to freak the audience out, but they don't really have much character. With O'Brien, you have you know the uh, Triceratops nuzzling its young and uh, um, whatnot, and it's actually kind of yeah um, the Allosaurus like cute. scratching its face and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, the little things like that. Or the or the growl, right, <laughs> the, right, the, the, the yeah, brontosaurus growl. <laughs> the brontosaurus growl. Um, well, I I do have a, a question as far as um, uh, I guess O'Brien's methods on the Lost World. Uh, what did he use for like the drool and saliva and stuff when they open their mouths? Because that's <laughs> oh, such God, a unique I have effect. No idea. I I have no idea. I actually um, haven't investigated it in that much detail. Um, I will tell you that I will. I would like to say that there is a bit of footage that I don't believe has been used in our restoration. And not our restoration, Lobster Films' restoration. I was just kind of yeah, yeah. like saying, "Hey, put this here." Uh, um, so it, there's one piece of footage that wasn't used in Lobster Films' restoration, and it's this outtake. Um, and what, what's kind of interesting about the material that's turned up for this restoration is that um, more animation outtake material has surfaced. In um, the version found in Czechoslovakia, in uh, in 1991, uh, well 1992, sorry, uh, an, about an hour an hour long version of the film was found in Czechoslovakia. Yeah, that version um, to reduce wear and tear on negatives, uh, um, film uh, filmmakers in the silent era would often make two. One for domestic distribution and one for foreign distribution. And so um, for every shot, there were two cameras. Uh, one in the prime position and the other one slightly to the left or to the right. Camera in the, prime, the negative from the camera in the prime position was used for the American version, while the camera for the, uh, while the askew camera was used for the foreign version. And that would be the one that was sent overseas, it, it, that would be used to strike prints for Europe and whatever. Okay. Um, well, for the Lost World, they didn't have A and B camera for the stop motion animation, so they used outtakes. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, the takes that O'Brien found inferior, and so they also uh, allow some interesting uh, insight into how O'Brien worked and how he was kind of feeling his way around. Uh, you, you know the uh, uh, scene where the Alice horse uh, it gets poked in the side by the Triceratops mm-hmm. trying to protect its children? Yeah, yeah. Well, in the Czech version, there's an outtake for that scene. 
and it actually has a lot smoother animation mm. of the dinosaurs. The problem is that the background is all over the place, and the leaves are moving around because the animator's arms were brushing up against them. <laughs> and so it's totally distracting. <laughs> okay. So the animation is per. So the way the dinosaurs are moving is great, but everything else is completely screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> And so that was used for the foreign version. So it was a it was a just a sign that the animator was uh, you know or animators guided by O'Brien were kind of learning as they uh, as they went. Okay. Um, I uh, Bert, I have an answer to your question about the drool and the blood. By the way. Oh, did you find it? Yeah, there's a book called uh, Dinosaurs in Decades uh, by Randy Moore, and basically he says that the uh, the blood was made with. Um, chocolate syrup go figure right um and the drool was depicted with uh shellac or basically what you think of um people painting their nails huh so that like that's how they that's what they ended up using for the for the drool i would not have guessed that thanks for um matt uh i so chocolate syrup and shellac for blood and uh and drool respectively very cool well i guess let's Talk about this restoration. Uh, well, it's um, uh, with, I guess, David Shepard is the one who previously restored it and has restored a lot of silent films. So I think what uh, a lot of people don't realize about The Lost World and a lot of um, silent films is that any version that exists today is not the version that was shown theatrically um, just because the elements are lost. And uh, with The Lost World, Nick, wasn't, wasn't, I believe it was, um, there were talks of a sound remake and the prints were ordered to be destroyed. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. That's um, about right. Yeah. Um, so, so anything else that you see is just like surviving material that you know just just didn't get tossed out with everything else. So, right. Yeah. So, so we can't really say what the version. You know, we're, these reconstructions are more or less fan edits that are done to <laughs> you know. I mean, the, like done to replicate as best as possible what's what they would have seen in 1925. So, um, uh, Nick, having worked with David Shepard on this restoration, did you, were you guys looking at, um, like how to make it the most accurate to the script? Well, um, not the script. Uh, the script, um, is very different from uh, how the final film turned out. As you said earlier, there's whole sequences that aren't even in the script. And there are whole scenes in the script that aren't in the film. For yeah. example, there are scenes with, uh, like, hungry cannibals uh, mutineering. Uh, um, um, this movie had cannibals uh, at one point? Yeah, it did. It did. <laughs> um, uh, on the Amazon River, they're going up to the plateau, and there are cannibals and Challenger Expedition's uh, uh, bearers, native bearers, noticing the cannibals mutiny against uh, against them. They tie up Paula. Uh, and, uh, they, uh, Zambo actually tries to stop them from stealing the canoes, but they, uh, cut his arm with a hatchet, and that explains why Zambo has, uh, his arm in a cast uh, okay. for the rest of the movie. Uh, those scenes were shot, but they were cut. Okay. So we have no idea why Zambo, uh, has his arm in a cast, and the only time Zambo actually helps or does anything constructive in the film is gone. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Does uh, any of the is, does any of the cannibal footage survive, or is that just long? No, it's it, it was never put into the original uh, release. Okay. Uh, um, similarly, there were scenes where, uh, slightly before that, the party is on the docks and uh, is, um, and they're ready to board the ship to take them to South America, when Summerlee convinces everybody that. Uh, convinces, well, many members of the expedition that Roxton should actually take the lead and not Challenger. So Challenger sneaks away and says, okay, um, he arranges for uh, John Roxton's guns to be left behind and gives this uh, and has this letter uh, and puts some paper in an envelope and writes it and writes on the envelope, this contains my secret maps to the lost world. (laughs) 
<laughs> and he says, "Give the give this to the give this to the expedition." And uh, and it's it says on the envelope, it, "It's not to be opened on until this date and this time, etc." You, you know the scenes where they're um, in the um, in those huts on the on the um, on the shore of the river. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, um, there is a scene. There's a part of that that's that was shot but cut. And it's uh, covered up rather awkwardly with some random sh- uh, cuts to uh, uh, one of the guys who owns the huts having breakfast or something. And it's uh, and it's a scene where it's a part of the scene where Malone looks at his watch and says, OK, now it's time to open the letter. And they open it and they realize, oh, crap, the envelope is empty. It contains nothing but blank paper. <laughs> hey, Paula, do you know do you know the way there? No. <laughs> Uh, my, uh, my, uh, I was out cold when they brought me back, and uh, suddenly Challenger comes in with Jocko on his arm and goes, "May I come in?" <laughs> he had followed them all the way there, and he says, "I want you to know you're completely helpless without me." <laughs> and in the final version, that entrance is cut, and he just wa- abruptly winds up in the room and says, "We start in ten minutes." <laughs> <laughs> it's it's an awkward cut, but that's the way it is in the in the movie, and it. Um, it's uh, so that those are two examples of uh you know stuff that was cut from the uh from the original film um and just never existed in any any released version yeah but they do survive in the script okay uh and uh and there are several stills that exist for them that were heavily used in publicity especially from the cannibal scene <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how many people went to that movie for the cannibals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because um, that's what you go to see The Lost World for. <laughs> right. And when that previous DVD version was found, it added a whole, like, 30, 40 minutes. Mm. And I think a lot of people didn't think we would get any more. So all this new one clocks in around 100 and some minutes, which is much closer to what... I understand was the original length of the film when it showed in in theaters. So yeah. So uh, I know you you uh, were mentored by the the late David Shepard. Um, how did you get involved with with all this, and how did he find all this this new stuff? Well, um, for, uh, just a note about uh, running uh, about running times. Uh, Part of the reason why it clocks in close to the uh, original running time is because the um, is because the uh, is is because I think Lobster Films ran the film at a slightly lower speed, okay, than that what the film sense. was originally projected at. So, for example, instead of twenty three to twenty four frames a second, which was the way, uh, actually no, it was twenty three, twenty three frames a second, which was the way the original film was shown. Uh, they made it to like. Uh, twenty or twenty-two or something, uh, twenty to twenty-two or something like that. But it, it's a little slower. But that doesn't—that isn't to say that everything can be explained uh, mm-hmm. with shorter running speed. Um, what's actually what's actually going on is that uh, there's the Czech version was found. Um, but the problem with the Czech version is that uh, uh, it, it too is missing a great deal of footage. It too, it, it, like the Kodoscope version, it's only an hour long. And in some cases, it seems to have been edited that way. Like, not only does it survive in fragmentary condition, but it, too, uh, it was intentionally cut down. Um, so that so even if you add in the new footage from the Czech version, the uh, restored film is still shorter than it originally was. Right. When Prince got to uh, Czechoslovakia... That was pretty much the end of the distribution line before new prints were struck. By the time it got to Czechoslovakia to have new titles spliced in, by the time prints got to Czechoslovakia, they were all scratched, horribly scratched, and they looked like they had been put through like a, a mincing machine mm-hmm. um, and then put back together with scotch tape. It, it really, uh, it, they, they look pretty bad. The, the material is very sharp, but it's it's got these horrible scratches um, that can't r- be removed with uh, any uh, technology. In 2004, um, a few rare, uh, about four rare reels, uh, uh, an original American release print of the film, were found. 
David Shepard found them. And it was three years after uh, his first restoration was put out on DVD. Um, and not only did it have footage that was not available anywhere else, it also had the original color scheme. Oh, okay. So, um, you know how in the silent era, um, uh, color effects were often done by uh, bathing the film in a bath or something. Mm -hmm. And they could either color the uh, white parts of the image or the emulsion. Tinting is where you color the white portions. Uh, Toning is where you color the emulsion. And sometimes they'd combine them for really interesting effects. Um, So, for example, uh, outdoor daytime scenes are often uh, tinted yellow or amber. Uh, indoor scenes are sometimes tinted orange. Nighttime scenes are tinted are, are tinted blue. Jungle scenes are tinted green. Um, cave scenes are tinted purple. Uh, and ba- a lot of wonderful combinations. Mm-hmm. So, for example, there's this sunrise scene where the emulsion is colored green and the uh, white parts of the image are colored yellow. So that it's like, so that you see all the jungle foliage and it's a really beautiful effect. There are other interesting uh, tinting, effect, uh, coloring effects uh, elsewhere in the film. For example, you, you know, you know the scene where uh, the Challenger party is fighting off the Allosaurus or the Tyrannosaurus. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. Well, in these reels, in the original um, in original American release prints, the entire scene is tinted blue, but the flame of the torch that Malone tosses into the, uh, into the dinosaur's mouth is colored red. Mm. And it really pops out from the rest of the image. There, there's a trailer featuring a clip from the new, uh, the newest lobster films restoration. And it, it shows the, this effect and it's really, uh, quite powerful. Okay. That's, that's very, so, um, so the this new the new color scheme um, are these original American release uh, reels that were found, and that's how you know that it is indeed the original color scheme. Yep. Okay. Uh, sorry if I wasn't very clear. When okay. I was, uh, no, I, yeah, I, I was just kind of clarifying. Where where did Shepard find this footage to begin with? Okay. Yeah, I feel definitely like, from a private collector. Yeah, I feel like that's usually where stuff like this happens so uh if there's any private collectors out there with that king kong spider pit scene hello (laughs) come forward or if you have london Uh, after midnight i mean come on well uh london after midnight (laughs) is uh not very likely to be oh i know i that's uh, i I think we've all given up hope on that one there there uh, i think the only thing that was found of it was like a frame of a spanish trailer yeah Every few years, someone comes out and says they know someone that has it, and nothing happens. Um, so, what was the actual this this new Blu-ray that's coming out? Uh, what was the actual process of restoring the film? As in, um, you know, uh, any kind of color correction or detail work, or I mean, removing any grain. What what was uh, what was the process like to in in cleaning up this footage? I was not really involved in that. I was mostly involved in the process of uh, reconstructing the film. Okay. Uh, it, like based on the original uh, uh, script and music cue sheet, so that I, I had to point out, okay, this is the correct title for this scene. This is where this scene goes. Um, this shot should be taken out. It doesn't belong. This shot should be put in. Stuff like that. Okay. So, so, um, so is this? Um... Is this a combination um, of all the previous material and just to give the most previous full ma- experience? Previous ma- yes, previous material as well as newly found material. Yeah. Uh, while we were, while I was recording the commentary with Paul Garucki, um, uh, is Serge announced that he had actually found uh, some uh, about two reels worth of uh, the high quality thirty five millimeter uh, footage from the original film, some of which wasn't available elsewhere, in the Library of Congress. Hmm. And I said, okay, well, in my commentary, I talk about missing scenes. 
So I kind of need to know what was in that footage before I uh, <laughs> before I talk about these missing scenes, or else I'm going to be talking about scenes as though they're missing, and I'm going to be and they're going to be showing on the screen. I don't want that to happen. So in the process, uh, in this not. restoration process, they found even more stuff. Is that what you're saying? A few, a few more shots. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, so this new version. Um, uh, so when you were reconstructing it, the goal is obviously to replicate the theatrical version as much as possible. And you mentioned yeah. looking to material like the script and um, and other like what what exactly besides the script itself? What exactly did you need to use as resources to to just put this thing this puzzle together and reconstruct it and how how did you take the measures to make sure you were being as true as possible to the original experience? Well, there um, it, it, a lot of uh, the materials were found by Scott McQueen, and um, he he uh, it, you've probably heard of the LumaVision version of mm-hmm. the film. Okay, well, in that in that he had uh, an essay that. Um, used the, both the script and the music cue sheet to fi- uh, to figure out which scenes were missing and, uh, from the Kodoscope version. Uh, and that was really helpful for me um, and, uh, and uh, Lobster Films and David Shepard um, uh, in trying to put the, put the movie back together. Music, it, it, sometimes I would look at the music cue sheet and say, okay, and, uh, and I'd uh, sometimes... Um, find the text of a title as like a, as like a musical cue. Okay. And it's not, it's not the entire title, but it's like the first few words of a title. Mm-hmm. And it, that, sometimes that title roughly corresponded to what was found in the script. And sometimes it didn't. And sometimes I'd have to find a combination. Okay. It starts with these words and then the rest is kind of, I'm just going to paraphrase the script here. <laughs> okay. So it was, it was kind of, at some points it was kind of a rough guess. Uh, we also had to translate titles from the Czech, from the Czech version, um, because for the scenes, uh, there are some scenes that are only found in the Czech version, but they contain Czech language titles. Okay. Uh, so we had to translate the uh, Czech into English, um, and uh, and then compare it with the script to see if they changed it, and then find some kind of reasonable compromise as to what. The original film, as to what the original American uh, release version of that title might have been. Okay. So it's basically comparing, comparing a bunch, uh, comparing uh, translated Czech, um, the script titles and the little bits of titles found in the music cue sheet that um, we had to kind of combine them all. That was really that was the big challenge. Okay. Uh, finding out what those titles were. Um... So you, we were talking about we mentioned music and and um, does the sheet music for the original score still exist? Yes, uh, I, I didn't have access to it, but I used uh, uh, Scott McQueen included screen caps of it on the original Luma uh, on the uh, I think 1991 LumaVision um, Laserdisc and DVD. So I well the DVD was put out later, but. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I just used those, but I'm I'm sure it's still uh, okay. Uh, but yeah, the the music cue sheet does exist. I, okay. I just didn't have access to it. I had access to screen caps of it. Okay. Um. Uh. The new version also has a newly recorded version of the score. Is that going off of the the original sheet music, or is it something that was newly composed for this? Uh. uh, or, uh yeah. What was the it, process behind the new score, and what exactly? Um. What is it? Basically, well, the original score is mostly a compilation, except for one original song, which seems to be a kind of love theme for Paula and uh, Paula and Malone. Um, so, uh, for example, um, as McQueen notes in uh, on the LumaVision DVD, um, the stu- the uh, theme for Professor Challenger is he is an Englishman from HMS Pinafore. <laughs> The new score featured on the Blu-ray is newly composed by uh, Robert Israel, and um, okay. he, he did a score for he did a score for the 2001 version. But this new score is a vast step up, and it's it's really kind of epic and 
Okay. Um, and powerful. It's not exact. It's not the the original score per se, but it does. Um, it, but it is uh, faithful to uh, silent film scoring techniques, and it does go along very well with the film. Okay. Um, the 2001 DVD had a, a traditional sounding score and a modern sounding score. Yeah. Um, are either the of tradi- those present on this disc, or is it just this new one? The traditional score on the original DVD and the 2001 DVD was written, was uh, compiled and conducted by Robert Israel. Uh, the new, uh, the new Blu-ray also, uh, the new Blu-ray has a, uh, um, a score also, uh, composed, partially compiled and conducted by Robert Israel, but it's pretty new. Okay. It's completely different from the 2001, uh, score. Uh, similarly, the, uh, uh, modern score from the 2001 DVD was, uh, composed and performed by the Alloy Orchestra. And they're they're kind of a more experimental group mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to uh, scoring silent films. A lot of percussion and uh, synthetic uh, instruments. Some people find it um, a lot of fun, uh, a lot of fun to listen to, as David Shepard did. Others purists kind of find it annoying, but um, but I, I I think they're a lot of fun. Okay. And, uh, Will there be more than on- one? No, it's just okay. the Robert Israel score, but uh, the the Alloy Orchestra score is not uh, from the 2001 version is not featured either. Um, but they have uh, scored the new restoration of the film in David Shepard's memory um, at I believe uh, the San Francisco Silent Film Festival from this past year. Has anybody tried to reconstruct the score um, as? It is on the sheet music? As far as I know, uh, not really. Okay. Is there a reason for that, or is that just something that's not as common a practice with, you know, silent films? Well, I mean, uh, the original score was mostly a compilation with one original theme. Yeah, with theme the one theme, yeah, that you were, you were That was itself kind of, that was itself kind of, well, as far as I know, meh. Yeah. Uh, so um, mostly people have just, I guess, decided they could do better. Okay. G- given how um, compiled the original uh, score was, it's not um, it's not sacrilegious, I think, to compile uh, to make a new original score because, in some ways, there was not really an original right. score. Yeah. Um, also, the new Blu-ray uh, includes deleted scenes. Is there a reason why? Those scenes... Serge called those deleted scenes. They are the animation outtakes okay. from the film. Okay. That's just the name that he uh, gave them. They are uh, anima- it, bits of dinosaur animation that were not used in the restoration because they're outtakes. <laughs> okay. Um, they were never meant to be in the movie, and so there was no reason to include them. Okay. Some of this new footage is brand new O'Brien animation that hasn't been seen before, right? Right. Okay. Is there any more of the uh, the the villainous ape man? Dude, ape um, man. Yeah, massive well, uh, big oh, ape man guy. I'm a huge ape man. He was terrifying, <laughs> man. He he is terrifying. Um, That's Bull actually Montana. a good makeup too for 1985. It it's by uh, Cecil Holland. Um, it and uh, previously, okay. Uh, interesting that you bring up the ape man because before. Um, before this movie, Bull Montana dressed up as an ape man uh, featured heavily in this uh, movie. This very strange Marshall Nealon directed thriller called "Go and Get It." Uh, he was a wrestler, right? Bull Montana, who played the ape. Yeah, um, his his original name was Luigi Montana. So he played uh, an ape man in another movie. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a weird thriller and. Um, uh, prior to the Lost World, he played a gorilla with the brain of a criminal planted in him by a mad scientist in the 1920 Marion Fairfax scripted film "Go and Get It." Dude, that it's, sounds amazing. That sounds awesome. <laughs> the the <laughs> film is a com- is a weird comedy thriller with horror elements. John Mercellus confirmed for me a while back that it is lost. Oh. No copy of it is known to exist. I'm going to give you. It's almost like a Todd Browning movie. I'm looking at uh, some stills, and it looks amazing. 
here's some, uh, I'm going to give you the summary that I, that it's found on the AFI catalog, but it's fun to read. Newspaper publisher Shut the Door Gordon conspires with the publisher of a rival sheet to wreck the paper entrusted to Gordon. The owner, Helen Allen, who inherited the paper from her father, suspects foul play and to investigate obtains a job on the journal under an assumed name. Her quest is aided by reporter Kirk Connolly, who is tired of being scooped by other papers. When a series of brutal murders occur, including the death of renowned surgeon Dr. Ord, Kirk starts on the trail of the assassin, and after many wild adventures, which includes a chase by airplane and seaplane after a missing witness, Kirk solves the mystery by discovering that the culprit was a gorilla into whose skull Dr. Ord had transplanted the brain of a murderer. Kirk writes the story and scoops his competitors, the plotters are exposed, and Helen marries her star reporter. This sounds awesome. Someone find this. <laughs> someone just make this movie again. <laughs> yeah, someone. Yeah, just make it now. <laughs> but um, yeah, the makeup it, it, looks the same. Sorry. Is this the same makeup artist? Maybe. Do you know? Uh, yeah, it is the same. Cecil okay, Holland yeah, it, it for both the Lost like World the, and uh, yeah, it looks just like the Ape Man. This. And what's weird is that there are more Ape Men in the novel. Oh man. Um, Actually, what's weird is that uh, there's a whole tribe of ape men, and they uh, are at war with this uh, group of humans that have wandered onto the plateau. And uh, the, uh, in a weird white savior moment, uh, the uh, Challenger expedition aids the uh, natives in fighting off the ape men. The ape man's great because it's such a weird, like... You have the whole like movie, and then they just wander. The ape man and his chimp side. Oh, chimpanzee! Yeah, <laughs> they they come out of nowhere. Yeah, they, it's they like... just walk. They just wander into the movie and do this like wily coyote like. He's basically just a dick to be a dick, and he's got this awesome sidekick, man. It's great. Yeah, that's just a chimp. <laughs> According to uh, uh, some press releases, uh, Bull Montana, and you can't really be sure what truth value this has, but. Yeah, Mary the chimpanzee, who was um, a, a trained chimpanzee who played um, Paul Montana's mate in the movie, uh, was a- actually, I think, picking fleas <laughs> off uh, Montana's uh, um, uh, suit because they had bonded so much or something. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 uh screwed up uh but uh the eight man subplot uh for go and get it was actually reused for the monster and the girl in 1941 okay so uh that might be one way to look at it kind of like uh, how mark of the vampire is used uh, you, by seeing mark of the vampire you can get a glimpse that uh, you can get an idea of what london after midnight yeah would've, right would've the, the like. todd browning uh, uh movie um I do want to ask, do you know if any of the puppets or um, in the Brontosaurus Rampage, there's like a, a, a life-size head and tail. Do any of those things exist still? Because like, I see like Kong and Mighty Joe Young and uh, armatures for those and a bunch of Harryhausen stuff that still survives. Does anything from this movie still survive? Uh, not that I'm aware of. No. Okay. It's just, it's sad that they didn't like care more back then. But uh, they, they didn't uh, care about the movies they were preserving. Why care about the props? So yeah, yeah, no kidding. Hence why about about ninety percent, uh, about uh, eighty to ninety percent of uh, silent films are gone. Yeah, man, that's that's too bad. Um, I did want to ask you to elaborate on a detail from way way earlier when we were talking. You were saying uh, Marcel Delgado used a, a football bladder um, for the breathing. How exactly did that process work? Because I still look at those models breathing and, and think it, it still looks incredible to this day. How exactly did the, the breathing mechanism work? Well, was it inflated frame by frame with the animation? Like, it uh, seems to be, yeah. yeah. It, it, basically, a lot of patience. <laughs> yeah, I know. I can't imagine anyone being able to to do that and not lose their, lose their, their mind. Matter, yeah, it's... I would have thrown the prop against the wall like my second day. <laughs> I mean, that's just. I mean, stop motion. I don't. I don't think people realize like the lighting has to be consistent. The camera oh, yeah. can't move. Like everything has to be exactly the way that you left it. You know, from the yeah, time. And, it, and if you and if you stopped and you resumed again the next day, you would not only have to keep track of that, but you'd also have to keep track of 
how you were moving the thing and you can't check the footage because that would ruin the <laughs> yeah they didn't have digital yeah they didn't have digital cameras yeah that's insane that makes that makes all this especially like stop motion that comes later on you know mighty joe young and some of the scene like just the amount of patience and uh i i know I, I couldn't do it um, I don't think most people today could. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it's kind of it was kind of interesting to see uh, Peter Jackson recreate the spider pit scene. Yeah, yeah, that um, was cool. It would have been great if like they had Ray Harryhausen on on the set of that, watching all these uh, people try to yeah. do what whine, he did, and whine, it's like whine about how hard it is. <laughs> it's like yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, I was telling Matt I was actually watching some of the outtake footage. And there's one that's just the brontosaurus, like a close-up of the brontosaurus eating leaves, and like its eyes move around, and like the, the nostrils move as it breathes, and that, like that level of detail is something that really guys like O'Brien and Harryhausen put into their work. But like you didn't see it a whole that kind of detail a whole lot, even in other stop motion projects. Like having the the two little nostrils on the brontosaurus move it when it breathes, I can't imagine the level of patience and meticulous detail that you'd have to pay attention to that. It's 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 still mind blowing. It it is, um, but I guess you know where there's well there's a way. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they like used a toothpick or something to like yeah I, the yeah I, they have to, it had to have been something like that but. Jeez, I just can't imagine. Um, but, uh, yeah, this movie, like we said earlier, it's a movie of firsts, and uh, this is the movie that led, led us to everything from King Kong to Godzilla to Jurassic Park. Um, you could, in a way, say it's the first of kind of adventure movie or popcorn movie or uh, really big special effects movie. Um, uh, and I was also reading it was the first in-flight movie, show, like, movie to be shown on an airplane. It was, it was. Which, um, I, I believe it was Nitrate Film, which is, like, highly flammable. Yeah. So it yeah. sounds uh, very dangerous. Big, a, big tube in the, uh, a big tube in the air and uh, just, uh, yeah, flammable uh, film. And if anything goes wrong, you are all going to die. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, O'Brien always said that um, it, the story has always been uh, that um, Fairfax included the cannibal scenes so that in case in case the dinosaurs didn't work, as there was reason to believe, because O'Brien's animation technique was still kind of, you know, finding its. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. OK. Um, she was uh, she included the cannibal scenes. But what's weird is that, OK, you know how in both King Kong and the Lost World. Uh, we see them talking about getting the, the animal back to civilization, mm-hmm. and then we just cut back to yeah, civilization. Yeah, we never see how it – yeah, yeah. What's weird is that in the script, in the script, there is a scene of the Challenger expedition and a, a bunch of boats with uh, supplies, and then the final boat is uh, this large raft with a cage, and the brontosaurus is inside it, and – uh, Challenger is looking in, gloating, uh, just like it, it, beaming over, you know, what kind of, what discovery he's made. And the brontosaurus is just in there looking <laughs> really sad. I don't think that scene was ever filmed because I don't even know if O'Brien's animation techniques would have been able to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, at that point, that's kind of a really complicated sequence. Yeah. I mean, just the, the boats moving and the, the, you know, the props that need to be built for that. And, uh, um, it, it would have been great to see, uh, but, uh, and would have a- answered some major questions like, uh, how the heck, how the hell did you get that thing back? Um, <laughs> That's that's interesting. Yeah, no, that that definitely would have been uh, a cool thing to see. Um, uh, well, as we're kind of winding down, um, uh, I I mean I'll, I'll say um, for a movie from 1925, um, I was I'm still surprised how well it holds up. Um, and uh, once they get to the Lost World there it, it it moves pretty quickly and i think the the dinosaur sequences especially the brontosaurus and allosaurus fight and the rampage at the end uh, are still 
marvelous and uh you know it, it all kind of started with this and um i i look forward to the new blu-ray checking out um uh you know the restored film and uh the restored ghost of slumber mountain and seeing all the new footage and hearing uh hearing the new score and um you know uh i wonder if maybe they'll find more one day you never know i feel like every five years like they find new stuff from metropolis so why not the lost world like that was a miracle yeah uh, finding metropolis uh <laughs> and uh i think finding the czech version of the law lo- uh, of the lost world was also pretty miraculous um uh, well, it's like you but, said. I uh, mean, it's it's a miracle. Like any of these things even exist, considering how much of it is lost. A lot of movies from the a lot of movies from the silent era are lost, and like go and get it. But you know, stuff turns up every day. Yeah. So uh, hey, if anyone <laughs> finds go and get it, I'm down for more Ape Man, anytime. Same. Dude, Ape Man Same. is my hero. <laughs> um. So, uh, again, the Blu-ray drops September 19th. I don't know about you guys. I got mine pre-ordered. You can get it on FlickerAlley.com. And uh, Lobster Films and Nick here have done a whole lot of work, painstaking work, to uh, get this new cut out. and David Shepard. Yes, and the, of course the late David Shepard. Who has anyone like restored more silent films than David Shepard? Well, uh, close runner-up is Kevin Brownlow. Okay. But, um, um, but yeah, and and of yeah. course, yeah, the the painstaking work of the late David Shepard, who lived and breathed for for finding this stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, and uh, no, I'm looking forward to it. And yeah. also, blackface is terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Blackface is terrible, especially when the original author hated that kind of stuff. <laughs> hated uh, the kind of yeah. racism that uh, led to the the Belgian abuse of natives in the Congo. Yeah, and instead of that, and instead of that commentary, we get we get Jules Cowles in blackface. Yeah, <laughs> not just in blackface, but like dialogue that is, uh, oh man, just <laughs> <Right>. not <laughs> uh, around the room. Nick, so, I mean, you, you obviously spent a lot of time with this movie. Um, uh, just as a movie, how would you rate it out of maybe, like, five stars? Or five, uh, f- how many, ram- five rampaging ape men? How many do you give it? <laughs> uh, I, I'd give it about, uh, oh, a half a ranch, half a raging ape man. That'd be nasty. Um, so I guess I, I, I'll go with four. Four? Was, um, was, it's not a perfect film. The it, it, well, actually, my actual rating is uh, uh, it is probably three because okay. it is kind of an average silent film. And uh, the although the animation is wonderful, the romantic subplot and the racism and the sexism are kind of oh bad. But yeah. for pure nostalgia's sake, and for I, I guess maybe because it's such a fun a fun adventure and anything like that, anything like that is. Uh, great to watch I'll, I'll give it four okay i'm gonna go with the four i don't feel i don't feel i don't feel like sorry i don't feel like giving it three and a half raging ape men because <laughs> cutting an ape man in half that'd be nasty that's Ew. true uh i'm gonna go with a four two uh some stuff like the romantic subplot doesn't really work of course viewed in 2017 uh you know i you do have the um gender and race issues that are pretty outdated and you know uh, contradictory to what the author thought but a four is a solid rating um just because for a movie so old so much of it works well and i think more of it works than doesn't work matt how was what's your rating and what are your thoughts uh to wrap up the lost world i think it's a really obviously it's a very significant and important film just because of the influence that would have later on um, but I'm going to be the cantankerous old bastard here and go like two and a half. Cause like, <laughs> I really think, I really think that there's some things that you know, the, the romantic subplot being a really it doesn't big work. example, yeah. it doesn't work. Um, obviously it's not, it's not even the blackface. It's the fact that like Zambo, he's, he doesn't do anything. Like he's kind of there, but not really there. You know, we don't know what the only doing. part of the movie <laughs> where he did anything was cut. <laughs> Right, and that's what I'm saying. Like, it's another example of of uh, a piece of the film that really shouldn't exist. Like, it shouldn't even be there. So, all the dinosaur stuff is awesome. Um, 
but there's some pretty, I think, large flaws mm-hmm. overall in the film. So I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go two and a half. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. Um, you know, not everything hits. Um, my my rating, similar to what Nick was saying, is just for a movie that old. So much of it, more of it works than doesn't. But yeah, no, all the things that you said, Matt, are valid, and they're glaring issues with it. Um, uh, but you know, would would you still recommend people watch it? Of course. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If you want to see how basically stop motion started i mean you got to start here and obviously the impact of this movie and willis o'brien in general and especially related to our podcast if you like godzilla like it all you have to trace it all the way back and it it begins right here and what other i mean it's film history so absolutely Mm -hmm. check it out and and like you said the dinosaur stuff is awesome it really is and it and the dinosaur stuff does hold up still Uh, appreciate your guys's patience and uh thanks for letting me um, be on the podcast yeah, thanks for coming on. We do appreciate having you. It's it's always great to have somebody who's actually worked, um, you know, on the, on the restoration of the film or a project like this to, to fill in the gaps where you know we obviously don't have the same background. And I I really appreciate your yeah. insight. Yeah, and and thanks for the hard work and you know helping and get this new version to us as well. So yeah, again, Lost World Blu-ray September nineteenth. Um, All right. Well, thanks, Nick, and uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk to you. Cool. All right. Take it easy.